Who has heard of Marie? Con Marie. Okay, there were a few hands. Let's see if we can get this a, a few more people. Marie Kondo is a four foot seven inch Japanese woman who started an organizational company 15 years ago at the ripe old age of 19. She has now written a book on how to organize your home and your life. The method that she came up, okay, Marie Kondo, Con Marie. All right. She has a way uh, to talk about organizing your life such that you are constantly tidying up. She has written four books. Uh, the first or the most popular one being the life changing magic of tidying up. You can get that anywhere. And then this past month on January 1st, which is why most of you, I think, might know of her, she released a special or a new show on Netflix called Tidying Up. It came to the world on January 1st. It's been out a month now. Let's say, what is this? How far has it gone? Raise your hand if you have heard of Con Marie or this show. Okay, that's a lot of hands. Now, I, I want to see the hands that go up for the people that are actually doing it who have tried it. Okay. So my hand is up. My house looks awesome. Um, so, uh, but, but this method that she talks about for her, she wants to say, I want what's in my life to be the things that spark joy in me. And so anything that does not spark joy, it is gone. You get rid of it. Anything that does spark joy, you keep, and then you display it or fold it in such a way that when you see it, it continually sparks joy uh, to you. Now, I can hear the snickering. I get it. But it's really, really helpful to get rid of a bunch of stuff you don't need. So, so for many in the room, I have only talked very, very briefly about this. And you said, you know what? I have some organizing I need to do at my house. I need to tidy some things up. This sounds interesting. So what do you do next? Well, what you could do, all I said was that you find things in your house that spark joy. You keep those things. You toss the rest. And there's a special folding method on how you do it. I mean, I haven't even gone into the trifold method to, to bring and spark maximal joy. We could go there. But if you were interested, you could go home off of my brief description of it and say, okay, I want to do it. It's probably not going to be the best way for you because my description was fuzzy, your memory is fuzzy, no judgment, and you getting home to do that, it's probably not going to last or go through, okay? So if you want to do it, what else could you do? Well, the people who, like myself in this room, raised their hands and said that they tried it, you could go and talk to them. Okay, what did you do? What did you start first with? Oh, you went clothing, and then you went books, okay? You got rid of all those things, and then you continued to go on further. You could ask them, but that's still secondhand information. If you want to know how to go through with the KonMari method, what do you do? Well, you're going to go to your bookstore, you're going to buy one of her four books, or you're going to go home and watch the Netflix special so that you can hear it from her mouth. You're going to go as close as you can directly to the source to figure out how you can do this very specific organizational cleaning method. I think, uh, like those who swear by the Marie method, the church 
historically has existed to declare the name of Jesus as the only name, the holy name, the one that we worship, and the most important. So if his name and his way of life are the most important thing, where do we go and how do we get to know him? If there is something that hits you at church, where do you then go to go deeper, to grow more with him? Every week, we're going to teach and preach out of the Bible. And that is where we're going to say today, we're going to talk about the Bible. Why are we going to go here? Because this is the direct source. It's not just listening to a preacher talk about it and then trying to go home and live it out with our own fuzzy communication and fuzzy memories. We are going to want to go to the thing that God has said, this is for you so that you can know who I am and how to grow in this world. So if it is that important to us, we should probably dig in. So today, by the time we walk out of here, we are going to know these three things. Why is the Bible trustworthy? Uh, Why should I actually be reading it on the regular? And how do I go about it? Okay, so we're going to do those three things. I think whether you are anti-Bible or you have been a long-time Bible, there is something here for you that we can all grow in, okay? So would you bow your heads with me and pray? Lord, we know that you are here, that you are listening, that you are moving. Please move beyond, faster, clearer uh, through your words into the hearts of everybody gathered here and let us see you and see your love for us communicated through the pages of Scripture. Uh, We love you, Lord. You are good. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so this is going to be kind of like a three-part message. We're going to hit those three things. Why is the Bible trustworthy? Uh, Why should I be reading it? How do I go about it? If you are a note taker, pull out your phone. You can grab your pen and a piece of paper because this is going to be a little fire hose-ish. I am just going to be putting out tons of really helpful information. Um, I am not offended to see the phone out and you take screenshots, you know, of the thing behind me uh, that's going to be helpful. So quick facts, the Bible, what is it? Okay, this is a collection of 66 books that God has written to convey his story about who he is, what he has done, and how he is setting the world to rights. Okay, this is a very large list with a really wonderful clip art picture here. Um, These are the 66 books of the Bible. You have 39 Old Testament books. You have 27 New Testament books. The 39 books of the Old Testament were written over a 1,000-year period from when Moses started writing uh, those in the Torah with Genesis all the way to the end, uh, Malachi being, I think, the last one penned. Um, that was about 400, 450 BC. So about a thousand year period. And then it took about 200, 250 to 300 years for them to officially say, these are the recognized words of God. This is what God has worked in and through these writers. These are separate. These are special. These are God's words. And then the New Testament, 27 books, they were written over a much smaller period of time. That was about 55 years from about AD 40 through about 95, give or take some number of years. So 55 years to complete it, although same number of years, about 250 to 300 years before they officially said, this is it. 
This is what, these are the books that God uh, really inspired and worked through. Now, I've said this once and I'll say it again. How did we get these books? Well, God spoke to, worked through, inspired certain authors. So these men then took pen to paper. It was not uh, like a bad game of telephone. Where, where God said, okay, Trent, I, I want you to write this down. And these are the words that I'm going to say. And Trent says, that's fine. These are the words that God's going to say. He didn't just copy word for word what God said to him. Nor was it Trent, I just made you a Bible author. I hope you're happy with it. Um, so God did not say to Trent, I want you to write. And Trent's like, well, you know what's on my mind these days? Takes pen to paper and starts furiously writing something that he's really against. This is not what the biblical authors did. It was a combination of God working through the voice and the character of the actual people, thus inspiring them. And so what came out of it, again, were 66 books written with different genres. Some of them are wisdom writing. Some of them are historical writing. Some of them are poetry, are songs. Some of them, like the Gospels, are accounts of who Jesus is and what he has done. Some of them are letters to friends at churches. So the Bible, when I say the Bible is different from other parts of the Bible, that's kind of referencing these genres. You're going to read the the prophetic accounts different than you are going to read the poetry. So how do we get it? Okay, well, those people who then were divinely inspired to write the Word of God would then bring either letters or, or those things, those writings, to the people who followed God. And the people who followed God could see that these writings stood apart from just, again, Trent writing what he was thinking that day. These were the words of the Lord multiple times throughout the Old Testament. It would say, thus says the Lord. I mean, these are the words of God pinned to paper. And then we get to the New Testament and it's referencing all of these Old Testament books. And it said, these are absolutely the words of God. And even at the end of our reading today in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter is talking about the writings of Paul and making it clear the writings of Paul are equal to in stature all of the Old Testament books. So this is the inspired word of God that has been passed down to the people who were reading it at the time. And then they would see this is the inspired word of God. We are going to keep this. And then Trent's writings, they would say that was really helpful, Trent, but we're not going to say this is the inspired word of God. And we're not going to make future generations read this because it was just his opinions about how bad the patriots are. So So, sorry. Um, I'm not sorry at all. Um, So, we have then these collections of these books that are beloved, and they are clear that this is the Word of God, and then these collections are transcribed, and then they are copied, and they are recopied, and they are made sure to go out into distribution so that other people can read them because these are the words of God. And so when we get to the time of, the guy's name is Athanasius, and he's in like the mid-300s to late 300s AD. They said, this is God's word, and these are the books that make up God's word. And then that was then again copied and passed down so that we as the church continue to have it. Now, it was not written in English back then. 
So it has been translated. And so translators then are going to look at the oldest copies, the manuscripts that we have, and they are going to then go deep in with the original language, and they are going to translate it, and they are going to put it into language that hopefully we understand today. That does not mean, I, we have read from, and we have up here on the screen, the English Standard Version. That does not mean that this is the only version that God likes, and all of the rest of them are lies. Okay? And it doesn't mean that something else that you may have been raised with that wasn't the English standard, that is the for all time best version, everything else is heretical. These translators are going back into God's word and saying, okay, how can we help people know God's truths, know God's word, and put it into a way that they can engage? So that is how we have arrived with this today. Uh, and I do want to say, kind of as a side note, I've already referenced this connect card. Um, I am not going to go into a massive list. Uh, this is like, I just covered a semester's worth of teaching in about five minutes. So there's a lot I'm leaving on the table on why, uh, how the Bible came about, how the translation process is. If you want to know some good books that you can read to help know more about how we have this Bible today, put your name on here in that uh, prayer request spot. Just write books or something, and then put that in the blue box. I'll make sure to contact you and give you some of those book recommendations. Um, I can keep you all reading forever. I just keep giving you book recommendations. Ooh, this is helpful. You'll like this. So, um, and anybody who knows me, I can see they're already grinning because I do that to you already. Um, So that is how we have arrived at this point of our scripture. Now, I still haven't gotten to the most important point. That's great. Thanks. So why is it trustworthy? (laughs) Like, Why is it trustworthy? Okay, here is a big list. One very important thing. If the Bible was written from about 1400, 1450 BC and closed at close to 100 AD, you would think they would not all agree with each other. But in fact, there is an inner congruence. The author Moses agrees very much with Paul, agrees very very much with John, agrees with Isaiah. These are written different authors all over that Middle Eastern area over different times. And yet the Bible has a cohesiveness, a congruence that is unmatched. And then again, if somebody was going to try to like make sure they could try to figure out how to do this, there would not be such agreement between authors, but there is great congruence. Okay, next thing. Uh, there are warts. What I mean to say, when you are reading scripture, what do we learn about David? He's a king. He's a wonderful man, a leader of men. He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. He was a horrible father. If you think David really wanted to write his tale as the victor, do you think he would have left those things in? He would have obliterated the records of the things that made him look the fool because he looked a fool a lot. Same thing for Paul. He was a murderous leader in the Jewish church that God then saved, converted, and he becomes a missionary telling everybody about Jesus. If you're going to, if you want Paul to look really good, you leave out the first part (laughs) and you just have him doing these wonderful tales. Scripture is full of people with major issues. If this book was written by the victors just to make God and all those people look great. They would have taken that stuff out. Third reason, there is mystery. 
there is mystery. It actually comforts me knowing that not everything is spelled out super perfectly and 100% understandable. You go to scripture and there is an element of mystery. There's an element of unknown where we get to continue to go in towards God and say, I don't understand this. And we get to learn and we get to grow. And I find comfort in the fact that God has built mystery into his word and has not explained everything like a, a big science equation. Uh, fourth thing, why? Why is it trustworthy? The Bible is inerrant. That means the Bible is true in all that it affirms throughout the pages of scriptures in the original manuscripts. This is not a book with massive major holes. In fact, it holds together beautifully, and we believe that God has given it to us, and it is true and without error. Fifth thing, why is the Bible trustworthy? Historical confirmation, historical confirmation. So archaeologists have gone about, they have tried to find manuscripts, old manuscripts, uh, extra biblical writings of areas. They have found um, these documents. They're kind of like documents. They're these big, almost like a scroll. They're called steels. And you actually will like rotate them to read them. And so archaeologists will dig these up. Well, there have been a number of these steels that have been found from ancient times that have referenced things in the pages of scriptures. Uh, in the 40s, uh, there was the Dead Sea Scroll finding. Was it the 30s? Is a while ago. Um, and the Dead Sea Scrolls, they went into these and they had translations, uh, pieces of translations from Isaiah and other books. And constantly throughout history, when these things are found, they do not disprove what we have in the pages of Scripture. In fact, they reinforce it. Say, oh, wow, this is exactly what this book said happened. And this thing over here agrees that it happened. So historical records have confirmed that this Bible is actually reliable. Trustworthy. Why? The prophetic witness. Okay, so prophecy is kind of a funny thing. It's really easy to know if you're wrong. Like I predict that this is going to be the result of the game today. Um, It's a prophecy if I nail it and I say it ahead of time and it happens exactly like that. Then you're like, that's prophecy. If I just say, I hope that this is the score and it turns out wrong, that's not prophecy. That's a hope. That's a wish. Scripture is full of prophecy. These sort of things are going to happen. And then in later parts of Scripture, they happen exactly as they were laid out. Just Jesus alone, he fulfilled over 300 prophecies in his time. If Jesus were to have fulfilled just eight, okay, eight predictions were made about this future and coming Messiah named Jesus. If eight of them were, If one thing out of eight were to go through and actually carry out, then it would have had the likelihood of one and one hundred quadrillionth. So so not, not hundreds, not thousands, not millions, not billions, not trillions. Quadrillions? I think it's the number. So the likelihood of eight of those coming true one and 100 quadrillions. So that's a big number. How did they come with it? I I have no idea. Smarter people who like probability, they decided that. But I, I say that eight of them coming true and Jesus fulfilled over 300 means to say somebody is not going to oops into doing all of these completely accurately. 
And this is just Jesus. There is prophecy all over the pages of Scripture, and these things have come true. The Bible is trustworthy. Uh, continued saturation. The Guinness Book of World Records has the Bible at present as the best-selling, most widely distributed, most widely read book on the planet. So Guinness, they have no reason to try to falsify their numbers. The Bible is really reliable and trustworthy. Last one, divine stamp of approval. So when God says, thus says the Lord, he actually is standing behind the Bible and saying, this is my word. This is true. And so when somebody said, well, how do you know it's true? And we say, well, God said it's true in scripture. Lots of people are going to say, time out, that circular reasoning. You can't do that. You can't use the thing that you are trying to prove as the thing that is going to prove it to be true. To that I say, if God is superior and supreme, and he is God over all, who is he going to look to to say, this is my equal who is going to, or somebody who is higher than me, who is going to approve of me? As Lauren's saying, God has no rival. God has no equal. So he doesn't have to point to anything to prove him. For an example in your life, did you hold a council with some of your friends when you came into the world and said, all right, we are going to vote on whether we approve of air having a part in our life? We are all going to gather. We are going to talk about air and say, do we believe air is something that we want around or are going to listen to? There was no vote. There was no counsel to approve it. Air was already something that you needed. You had to have. Whether you liked it or not, we are all breathing it right now. Air doesn't need your approval to be important to you. God's word doesn't need always your approval to say it is something that you need for your life. God has written it. He has validated it in his own name and he has given it to us. So with those eight reasons, we can say, okay, the Bible is trustworthy. The Bible is trustworthy. So if the Bible is trustworthy, since the Bible is trustworthy, why should I read it? That's great that it's trustworthy. Why does it matter? Now, we come to Peter. Um, Zori, thank you very much for reading our passage so excellently today. If you have a Bible, you can open it. Said Bible that we're talking about. We are now in Second Peter, chapter one. The the verses are going to be on the screen above me. I I picked this passage because we're answering the question: Why should I read it? From this passage, I'm not even going to go anywhere throughout all the rest of Scripture, because it's kind of funny. Peter is about to die. Peter is this wonderful apostle. He is at the end of his life. And he starts this book off by saying, okay, I'm about to die. And I want you, my people who I love, I want you to follow this. This is, this is the most important thing I want you to know. And so he gives them this book. So why, why should we read scripture? The first thing Peter hits, we actually get to know God in these pages. We get to know God in these pages. In verse 2 and in verse 3, he talks about uh, growing in the knowledge of God. 
This growing in the knowledge of God isn't just, I get more head knowledge. Again, like I know how this started at the beginning. It's very educational, like you're in a classroom, lots of information. It's not just information. When Peter talks about knowledge, that's the way in the Old Testament that it referred to husbands knowing their wives in an intimate way. This is something that is near and dear and intimate. God invites us into growing in him in the pages of scripture in an intimate way. We are able to know God because he describes himself to us in these pages. Next thing, we get to know God's plan. We get to know God's plan. So we get to be in God's word and we get to know who he is and what he has done. But it it doesn't stop there. God has actually written scripture so that we know what is God's plan. Where are we going? What's the big picture here? In verse three, it says that his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything that we need to know on earth, God has, has revealed it to us in these pages. Well, what are those things? Well, it's his plan for us. At the end of verse 3, he's called us to his own glory and excellence. Through God's plan in verse 4, it tells us, it's like, it's like pulling back the curtain. It's like, I know you guys have heard about these things, but I want you to know, you don't just get to know me, which is wonderful the opportunity to draw near to God. But I want you to know how much I love you and what my plan is for you. I want you to partake in the divine nature, in my divine nature. I want you to grow and change and be like me. And that is my desire for you. And so I have moved everything so that you can be whole, so that I am making all things new. This is what I've done. Be in my word. Grow in that knowledge so that you can. What's the third thing that's true? Why? Well, we get to know God's promises to us. Now, I have read some scripture in my time. Every time I go and read scripture and I get to read one of God's promises to me, most of the time I'm like, oh, I forgot that. But we get to know that God not only loves us, but that he has promised good for us. He has promised us safety and freedom in him. Not just safety on earth, everything's going to go all hunky-dory. Following Jesus doesn't mean everything's going to go perfectly. But we get Jesus, and we get to know him, we get to know his plan, and we get to know his promises for us. Verse 2, there's a promise right ahead of where Zori read, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus, or Jesus our Lord, as we are growing in him, the promise of a growing grace and a growing peace is going to be in our lives. This is a promise to us. Reading scripture reveals God's promises to us. Fourth thing, we get to know how best to live life. We get to know how best to live life. I was just talking to a friend this week. He's recently come to the faith. And I said, he's like, okay, so how, how do we know how to live? <laughs> like, how do we go about knowing what does God have for me? 
how should I proceed in this faith? Well, God has given us his word to help us know how best to live. In the middle of this passage, Peter goes into this long list. I kind of call it the supplemental qualities list. In this list, he wants us to know these things should be growing. These things should be changing. But notice how he says it in verse 5. For this very reason, everything that happened in verses 3 and 4, make every effort to supplement your faith. Make every effort to supplement your faith. If this is God's word and it has what we need in it to know God, his heart for us, and how we should live, then we should make every effort to supplement our faith. We should make every effort to be in God's word, to grow with God, to know him, to know his promises. We have got to chase after it. Peter, no uh, uncertain terms. Make every effort to supplement your faith. He has this big list. Uh, virtue, it's excellence, the best way of living life. Knowledge, again, that's a knowledge of who God is, a knowledge of what he's done, a knowledge of who we are, and a knowledge of what we are to do. We need to work after knowing those things. Self-control. In Second Timothy, Peter, Peter, Paul promises us that God has given us a spirit of, of self-control. If we are in God's word, we're going to know the spirit. The spirit is going to work these things, change our heart and grow in us. Self-control. Steadfastness. Uh, stick-to-itiveness is a way to think about it. An ability to keep going after no matter what is coming against us, the difficulties and trials in life. We can read God's word and we know the end game. We know where it's going. We can have faith in God. Uh, godliness. This is how do you honor God with your daily life? How, how are your actions honoring to God? Do those things. Brotherly affection. This is love for one another, for the people who are here. Brothers and sisters in Christ. How can I lift up and be unified and honor them? And then lastly, he says, grow in love. This love, I'm pretty sure in context is for people who don't yet know Jesus. I want them to know Jesus. I want them to be whole. I want them to be blessed and full of life. When we read God's word so that our heart is continually changed for others. That is the very, very big long list on how we get to know our best life by reading scripture. And last, uh, verses 9, 10, and 11, we actually get even more promises. In verse 9, we're promised that God has cleansed us from our sins. In verse 10, we are promised that our, our calling has been confirmed through our growth and our actions and that we will never fall if we follow them. And lastly, verse 11, we are promised that in Jesus, we will be provided an entrance into the eternal kingdom. Scripture is full of these. We just have literally hit verses 3 through 11, and we've already received a ton of promises. We've been reminded of God's call for us, and we've been shown his love and plan for our life. This is just a few verses. God says, supplement, do all you can to be in here. Okay, so now, I, again, I know this is like 50,000 foot view with an airplane and we are flying at a clip. I'm glad you wrote them down. I'm glad you can look at them later. Now, at this point, though, many might be asking, that's great. Okay, I see that the Bible is relatively trustworthy. I believe you on some of the points. Uh, scripture, I know that this is why I should be in it. Um, I still don't know how. 
I still don't know how. How can I go about this? Okay, there's a few methods I want to give you. Again, if you're a writer, you can write these down. One, well, you need to really stick with consistency and faithfulness. So if you want to be in God's word, just pick a time. Pick a time during your day. Uh, two times during your day, be it morning, be it evening, at your lunchtime, but pick a time and say, okay, I'm going to read God's word today. And then pick a chunk of scripture that you will actually stick with. It does not make you more holy to read an entire book of the Bible every day. If, if you can't do that, don't do that. Don't say, I'm going to read 12 chapters a day. If you're not going to do that, don't do that. Start with something manageable and then work from there. So if you can commit, I can read a chapter of the Bible a day. Awesome. Do that. Do that. Pick a size that you can commit to and then get in here and learn what God has for you. I said read. You can also hear, listen to. I have found it a great benefit to have somebody else read scripture to me, not like I'm paying somebody to sit and read, but I mean like there are apps that have somebody reading this. You can go about your day and listen to scripture. It's really helpful. So uh, feel freedom. That's good. Um, Do that. And then I want you to know right at the start, you can absolutely do this. Have the mindset, I can do this. Don't look at all of these pages and say, I can't do this. That's not, let's get into this and say, I can do this. I can get into God's word and I can know him. So come in with the attitude, you can do this. Okay, now what I started to say, methods. How can you do this? Uh, One method is the inductive Bible study method. So observation, interpretation, application observation, you start there. You spend most of your time there. If I'm going to go into a text, I actually want to see what's there. I'm going to spend all my time digging in and saying, what is in here? What questions do I have? What is the author actually saying? Spend your time doing that. And then after you have spent your time in observation, observing who is in the text and what is in the text and what is it actually saying, then you will get to interpretation. What does it mean? You'll look uh, at the rest of the book. You'll look in other chapters. You might even find some commentaries, what other people actually say, what does this mean? And then after that, then at very last, you get to application. What does this mean to my life? Where do I go from here? But you start with observation. You spend your time asking questions. You get after it there. And then you move on towards interpretation and application. Again, all of these, I'm flying through this, but this is to let you know you can do this. You absolutely can do this. So uh, observation, interpretation, application. Another method, you all have heard me talk about this a lot. I'm calling it the, the covenantal method. It's kind of revealed to us in the covenants that God makes in the Old Testament, but you start with, okay, I'm going to read something. What does this say about who God is? What about character things? What does it say about who God is? And then after you've answered from the text, who is God, what do you see God doing? Be that creating, be that moving in people's hearts, or be that Jesus dying on the cross, saving us from our sins and rising from the dead. That's something that God has done. And then after you ask those questions, what does this say about who I am? How does this describe humanity or me as a person? 
who am I? What descriptions are in here about who I am? And then again, very last, at the end. So what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do with this information in the text? So who is God? What has he done? Who am I? What's my response? And then um, I think, I don't know if I've said this already, but you can do this. You absolutely can do this. This is a method for everybody to come to scripture and to be able to ask these questions and see what God has for them there. Uh, A few other last points. Have others keep you accountable. If you really, really want to read God's word and you really, really, really want to grow with him and know him and learn about him, or at least come in here and say, I don't get it, but I want to try, tell somebody you're doing it and just say, hey, ask me in like a week if I'm actually doing what I said I'm going to do because I said it was important. Do that. We want you to do that. Um, Have the long game in mind. If your goal is to grow with God and you've gone a week without reading, don't go into self-deprecation mode like, I am the worst. There's so much I'm behind. I said I was going to read two chapters a day and I haven't done that in 12 days. So that's 24 chapters I have to catch up on. And now it's a task and now it's a checkbox and I'm chasing something just to do it. Don't do that. Have the long game in mind. I want to grow with God. I'm in God's word because I can grow with him. Just operate from there. No beating yourself up. There, I said so, so don't. Um, Also, one of the big things, when you get into God's word, be humble. It's my encouragement. Be humble. Uh, We don't know it all. God has given us this to show us, again, all things that pertain to life and godliness. So we are probably going to come across some stuff that we might be wrong on. Be humble and say, okay, God, what do you have? What do I need to change? Come to scripture as somebody who is a learner and a listener. Um, Lastly, you can absolutely do this. You can absolutely do this. This is something that everybody can do. We can get into God's word. We can know God and we can start this year stronger as we draw into him. Now, I know that today was an absolute fire hose of information. I went through that passage of scripture, I think faster than I have ever gone through any passage of scripture. Uh, And I don't want anybody to say, wow, that was a ton of information. I don't know. Here, Here is the summary. You can do this. You can do this. God has written his word. It is trustworthy. We have lots of reasons why we should be in it on the regular. And we have the ability to actually read God's word, to know him and know where he's calling us. Now, at the very beginning, I started talking about Marie Kondo and I watched everybody's eyes either light up like, ooh, he's talking about what I'm doing or their eyes roll like you've got to be kidding me, which is fine. But if Marie Kondo has a way for us to organize our lives and everybody is excited, well, what about the God who promises us that he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I think it's a good idea for us to run to him, to go directly to the source and say, God, I need to know you. I need to know what you have for me. I need to know how I can get to be a part of your plan and your great story that you are working out through all of creation and all of time. That seems like an important thing. And lastly, you can absolutely do this.
I'm excited that we get this chance to then go from here and practice um, throughout the week. Would you uh, bow your head with me in prayer? Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the opportunity that we've had to talk really about your word today. God, I know that you have written this as your story to tell us how you have worked throughout all of history to bring things back to rights, how you are honoring yourself, glorifying your name, and allowing us to be a part of it. Lord, thank you for that, but give us the encouragement to get into your word and to know you. Lord, draw us into you and remind us that you love us and you want to build us up. You want to show us the most important things in this world. Lord, let us us get after it today and feel encouragement to do so. Lord, as we transition into our time of communion, let us not, again, say it's something that we've been through before and this is just a practice. This is just a habit. But Lord, let us see you through this exercise. Let us see you through the sacrament that you somehow in an unknown way interact with us and we get to interact with you and celebrate who you are and what you've done. In your name we pray. Amen.